Greetings and salutations. You're listening to This Ends at Prom, a podcast where I, teen movie apologist BJ Colangelo, show my wife, Harmony Colangelo, a seminal teen girl movie that I missed out on because I grew up as a teen boy. Is today's movie truly emblematic of womanhood? Or of rose-colored nostalgia glasses warped your perspective? Circle yes, no, or maybe to find out if we're crowning a queen? Or if we're killing the teen dream. Welcome to This Ends at Prom. This Ends at Prom is a Pod People production. I don't wanna be your merch girl. I wanna be your goddamn idol. And I don't wanna have to work twice as hard for the same motherfucking title. But I. Hello and welcome back to another episode of This Ends at Prom. Today we are celebrating an anniversary, the 20th anniversary of one of my favorite films of all time. But before we dive into that, let me introduce myself. My name is BJ Colangelo. I'm one of your co-hosts and across the room from me as I gaze seductively into her eyes is my wife. You can call me Big Red. That was a cute beat that you made. You also don't have red hair. I I always think of myself kind of as a redhead because despite the blue being what I'm known for at this point, I was a redhead for like seven years. You were a redhead when we met. That is true. But then you you went blue and, you know, you've, you've kept it. You are true blue, my friend. Oh, thank you. You can call me Big Blue. No oh. one's favorite <laughs> Super Smash Brothers stage. Yeah, you, uh... You're you're nice and blue, and you're you're tall. That's cool too. I'm tall blue. You're you're tall. Yeah, you're not big blue. You're you're tall blue. You're you're my favorite tree. Sometimes I like to call you like I call you a long ass bitch sometimes because it reminds me of that meme of the dinosaur where it's the T Rex trying to fight the Brontosaurus and it says "Fight me, you long ass bitch." Um, so I call you that sometimes because you're just you're cute. You're tall. You're blue. You're you're like my favorite tree in all of the forests. I mean, I'm quite partial to Happy Death Day. That's a really funny joke, babe. <laughs> for those who haven't seen Happy Death Day, the lead's name is Tree. Harmony, I'm so proud of you for that joke. Thank I you. shouldn't be laughing this hard at it, but it made me really happy. Because <laughs> I was not expecting you to go there. Thank you, I try really hard to be funny. Oh, God, that was really good. Okay, I'm breathing. I don't know if anyone else thinks it's as funny as I do, but then again, I also know I'm one of those weirdos that has watched Happy Death Day far too many times for any rational human being, which also is not enough, because I could always watch it more. Yes, but anyway, <laughs> yeah. my name is actually Harmony <laughs> Colangelo. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is Harmony Colangelo, because, you know, we're married and shit, and that's cool, because now we have the same last name. We can file taxes together. Ew. <laughs> yeah, we're not going to do that anyway, because it's actually better for us to file independently. But you know what? Everyone makes their choices. So, but we're, we're not here to talk about our taxes or our marriage or our hair colors today, even though our hair colors are amazing. We are here today to talk about the quite possibly greatest cheerleading movie of all time. And by quite possibly, I mean, it, it's the definitive. It is the best one. What would the one. alternative be? Sugar and Spice is pretty fucking good, yeah, but okay, it's a... It, it, it is nothing if, in comparison to Bring It On, 
So Harmony, what was your knowledge, experience, introduction, anything to bring it on before I showed it to you? So I, I know, I know the quotes. Mm-hmm. I know like, you know, cheerocracy. I, I know some of the, the best known lines, probably just because I, I'm guessing, cause I don't know who else would have shown this to me. Cause I do not remember or have ever seen like 90% of this movie. <laughs> Uh, I'm guessing I just would like scroll through the channels and mm-hmm. it would be on like FX or wherever it was just running on television. And I caught like the distinctive parts, like, you know, the auditions, the competitions. So I had like you know, the, tur- the big scenes. Yeah. Like the, the, not, not the scenes where they're just sitting around and talking, mm-hmm. I guess, but I'm, I was aware of what this movie was about, or at least I thought uh, what I, <laughs> this movie was about because I'm like, Oh no, this movie deals with like, the white kids stealing the uh, stealing the black school's cheer routines. And, um, wow, I did not realize that the entire point of this movie is um, equity and race relations. Uh, yeah, that's the best way to describe it. So bring it on frequently by those who have not seen it or those who saw it and, you know, don't understand what comprehension is. Um, it's very easy to be like, oh, bring it on, that dumb little cheerleader movie. <laughs> When in reality, Bring It On is one of the best examples at tackling the the idea of race relations and equity and privilege and white saviorship and all of these really complex topics that, despite the fact this movie was made 20 years ago, are still super fucking relevant even today because Bring It On was very ahead of its time. We're the best, so score them points, you win the game, we'll rock this joint, go Taurus, go Taurus, go, go, go Taurus. Yeah, I was not prepared for this to be quite as deep as mm-hmm. it's about to get. And I'm, I'm like, in case y'all don't know, I'm I'm real white. <laughs> you, I'm I'm a very are. white person, you and are. I'm gonna I'm gonna do my best to not be the worst kind of ignorant white person, which I'm confident that I can do. I think I cannot be the worst. I mean, you're not a Trump supporter. They've already got that crown, so I think you're okay. Yeah. So I. I, I, I'm, I'm a little nervous going into this one, but I, I think I can, I think I can talk about this. Honestly, this is dealing with a lot more adult subjects, mm-hmm. I guess, in a way, like, cause it's not, it's not dumbing this down for you. Mm-hmm. So that should make it easier. It's just, there's a lot of, this is a real weighty movie for yeah, me to this talk is, about. This is an extremely weighty movie. And I, this is one of the things that I love about teen girl movies. And one of the reasons that I am such a staunch defender of these films is because we do have the room to have these sort of discussions where a lot of other films, like even your most Oscar baity films, they don't allow that wiggle room to have these discussions because movies like that are telling you what to think and trying to like hammer you overhead with a message. Whereas a movie like Bring It On, in my opinion, I think is trying to educate you. It's trying to show you things that you might not be aware of or things that you are aware of and make it in like a palatable light. Yeah, because I mean, obviously... Not every, like, 14-year-old girl is going to have a Sociology 101 class from college under their belt to actually have, like, a a very literary and lectured discussion about these topics. So we got to dress it up in in this comedy in order to make it understandable, which I respect anything that can easily do that. 
Yeah, no, I'm I'm right there with you. So, so for anybody who um, hasn't actually seen Bring It On, first off, like what the fuck are you doing listening to this podcast without having seen it? But second of all, uh, we're still gonna give you a synopsis uh, once again, thanks to our, our our friends over at Fandango. Friendango. Our friendango. Uh, the Toro cheerleading squad from Rancho Carne High School in San Diego has got spirit, spunk, sass, and a killer routine that's sure to land them the national champion tr- championship trophy for the sixth year in a row. But the newly elected team captain Torrance, the Toros' road to total cheer glory takes a shady turn, that's a choice of a word, when she discovers that their perfectly choreographed routines were in fact stolen from the Clovers, a hip-hop squad from East Compton by the Toros' former captain. Also, calling them a hip-hop squad is like when somebody does a descriptor and it's like, this is the urban team it's like you can just say that it's a predominantly black high school like you don't have to dance around this bullshit like they're from east compton and they are an almost exclusively black cheerleading squad you can say that you don't have to call them a hip-hop squad fandango oh i don't think that we were allowed to say black in 2000 Mm, this wasn't written then but you know yeah that's true i think i'm gonna give them the benefit of that doubt yeah people were a little afraid to you know this is also a time period where, I mean, we're still kind of in it. We're like, you can't, you weren't allowed to call people fat unless it was an insult when it's like, no, that's an adjective. You're, you're curvy. (laughs) Yeah. You're chesty. Yeah. That people were a lot more selective about some some ways that I babying about it. Yeah. These are, these are some words that have been used by my mother to describe BJ. (laughs) Yeah. That's whatever. She's, that is not a topic for this podcast because we will derail (laughs) so very hard. Um, one so, day we're just gonna like one day I'm gonna pop off but yeah it, it'll but, happen but that's fine we have we have much better things to talk about yeah, than like my mother perfect fucking movie all right so let's let's do a roll call here of our main characters this movie is gonna be a little bit difficult to talk about because there are a ton of characters so many. because it's their team based um but let's start with with our our main characters so let's start with our leading lady let's talk about torrance shipman played by kirsten dunce harmony what do you feel about torrance torrance feels like she is the blonde trope mm-hmm. that we've seen in a lot of teen movies at this point she's mm-hmm. like you know your 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 share kind of trope which is the ignorant doesn't realize how privileged white blonde girl thing mm-hmm. and um as opposed to most of these movies where we have the the blonde the pretty blonde lead, like mm-hmm. a, like a Buffy or something. Um, this movie very directly addresses that. Hey, you are the pretty rich blonde lead, and here's what that means. Yeah, which I really really enjoy because you're absolutely right. A lot of times, there's maybe hints or like side little jokes where they kind of call out, "Yes, you're privileged and blonde and have a lot of money." They're, they're used as ways to like, oh yeah, no, we're addressing it, but they're not actually confronting it. Uh-huh. Bring it on confronts that full force through using Torrance as a vehicle. Yeah, and Torrance is a really good main character because she, she grows, but it's difficult. Yes. She starts off very like, you know... I'm team team captain. Yeah, you know? she's very idyllic and shallow, and she's she's fine. She's a little insufferable. Mm-hmm. She's she's the kind of um, she's the kind of cheerleader that they like parody in like Sugar and Spice. Mm-hmm. Yes, very much so. So she's she's fine. Whatever. But 
because she is now, um, we'll say, in inheriting this flawed system that Big Red had l saddled her with, this, mm -hmm. this much larger problem that she had not planned on addressing or had she had not planned on having to deal with because she right. didn't know it was a problem, mm -hmm. she has to now make everything right both for her conscience, learn how not to be a white savior, and then actually improve. Yes. This... So she, her, this whole movie is her trying to grow, and it is, it is a stumbling, fumbling road to get there. Yes, and I like that we see her fail multiple times. Uh -huh. We see her try to do the right thing, and a lot of it's misguided, and I think that that's a really important lesson about growth, is that it's not always perfect. It's not this, like, magical thing where you always make the right decision, and then you wake up one day and suddenly you know how to act. That's that's just not reality. Like, you're gonna fuck up, and you're gonna make mistakes. That's part of it. What you need to learn to do is learn to be able to sit with that discomfort. And mm -hmm. so many people just can't do that, so then they just don't try. Yeah, it's a matter of actually putting these practices into play and the thing with practice. And look at my my example using a different definition of what practice is. It's uh, if you're practicing something that's easy, you're not practicing the right thing. Correct. That was the first thing I was taught when I learned how to play music in band, which is like, hey, you can keep practicing hot cross buns over and over again and Good King Wenseless loss in order to <laughs> fill out the hour a day of practice you're supposed to do for your trombone. But you're not actually going to get better if you just loop the things you already know how to do because it's easier or it's fun and you're not challenging yourself. Yes. Like you can, you have to actually challenge yourself to get better. Yes. And I think that putting this under the veil of cheerleading, which, you know, is something that does require a lot of practice and does require you to try things that are outside of your comfort zone and push you to some limits, um, I think is a really nice metaphor for this sort of like, hey, we need to be building an anti-racist society and you're currently perpetuating white supremacy. Um, I think that's a really fascinating uh comparison and like a really really nice way to introduce this i think to younger audiences because this is clearly a movie that's catering to younger audiences uh -huh. so this is this is not a movie that's trying to convince your mom and dads how to act this is one that's trying to say hey teen girls don't fucking be like this like you know be the change you wish to see in the world sort of bullshit yeah i feel like if your parents were to watch this it would be because there was some girl who was like obsessed with it because it was a cheerleader movie and mm -hmm. it's like oh i'm a cheerleader i want to be a cheerleader and so you watch it obsessively because of that, and then your parents are just going to go, ugh, it's this movie that you watch four times a day, mm -hmm. and I'm sick of it. So don't don't try to grab them. I feel like that would be a lot of parents' impressions of it, because they're also not giving it the time of day. Right. I, I agree with you completely. If you're going to watch something so repeatedly, one way or another, unless you are completely ignorant, like the people who don't realize that Rage Against the Machine is raging against Republicans. Right. <laughs> because they're apparently mad at Tom Morello for talking about politics. Mm-hmm. Unless you're that fucking dense, you're gonna pick up on the messaging of this movie. It's impossible, it's impossible. not to. Because it's being presented to you, I mean, to quote Big Red, like, silver platter, hello! <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's right there for you. Um, so, 
on on the opposite side of the coin in terms of our main characters, if we're going to go from captain to captain, um, we we need to talk about Gabrielle Union, who plays the captain of the Clovers, and she is named Isis in this. Obviously, Isis did not have the connotation in the year 2000 as it does today. Uh-huh. Um, but how? what do you think of Isis as, you know, a character? So I think this is where this movie really, really succeeds because this is a competition movie. Mm-hmm. Like this is the this is the same thing as like a sports movie would be or or the the Eurovision movie like it's a competition there can only yes. be one winner and in a lot of these movies there has to be an antagonist mm-hmm. and this movie doesn't really fully have an antagonist there's the concept of Big Red kind of looming in the background but she's mm-hmm. not really there for most of it it's mostly like hey, the previous generations fucked everything up and now we have to clean up their mess. So yeah. the concept of Big Red is, is the villain. But in a worse written movie, they would have Gabrielle Union as the villain and she's not. Because one, she is infinitely more justified in all of her motivation and like character than Torrance is. Mm-hmm. And two, she's just, she's not the villain. No, Everybody wants to win. This isn't like... You against us in a grand scheme of things. It's you against the best cheerleaders and you want that competition. Yes. And I'm glad that you brought up that in like a worse written movie, you know, she probably would have been this caricature because the reality is um, before Gabrielle Union was cast, um, this is, you know, we're peeking behind the curtain here a little bit because the one nice thing about bringing on having this 20 year anniversary is that there's a lot of think pieces and interviews that have been done talking about this film's legacy. And there is a really wonderful piece that is an interview in Vogue magazine with Gabrielle Union. And she's being interviewed by Keaton Bell. And they're talking about, you know, the character of Isis and what that character meant to Gabrielle Union. So originally Gabrielle Union really wanted to be in another cheerleading movie, Sugar and Spice. Which we just brought up. Which we just brought up. And Sugar and Spice is definitely a black comedy. It's a little bit edgier. But they did not want to have a black lead. And there's definitely a lot of thoughts behind um, that that decision. But we will save that for another day when we talk about Sugar and Spice. One day we'll talk about Sugar and Spice (laughs) because you also love that cheerleader movie. I do love that movie. Um, But then Gabrielle Union was given the script for Bring It On, which, you know... race relations are at the core of the movie. Like the crux of this movie happens to be about race relations. So she talks about it. And at this point in her career, this is, this is her breakout role. Uh Like we've seen her as like, you know, we've seen her as like, you know, pretty side character number four in She's All That in 10 Things I Hate About You, where she has like maybe seven lines in the whole movie. Uh And this time, like she gets to be a lead. So she gets the script for Bring It On, and originally I think it was called like Cheer Rivalry or Cheer Fever or something like really That's a terrible name. Yeah, something super lame. And she gets the script and she's like, this is really cringy. Can we make changes? And they were open to it and they wanted to listen. How was it cringy? So it was cringy. Um, Because I haven't read this. You've read this. Yeah, so it was cringy. you're the researcher (laughs) and I'm the schmuck over here. So it was cringy in Gabrielle Union's words. She was like a bad stereotype. There was a line in the original script that was like, meow, me gonna, me gonna ow you. My nails are long, sharp, and ready to slash. 
And that girl ends up at UC Berkeley. How did girls from uh, Compton talk in their minds? Uh, How did we make her a very clear leader where her path to cheer justice is done with more class and dignity, but also justifiable anger? She doesn't need to speak in made-up exploitation dialogue. Oh. So, yes, very cringy, you know, clearly that's like... fucking ridiculous. Like, middle-aged white guys trying to write, you know, black teen girl slang and not knowing what the fuck they're talking about. Uh-huh. Um, and something interesting to point out is that Bring It On is directed by Peyton Reed, uh, who many of you may know as the director of Marvel's Ant-Man. So um, what? Yeah, because when he got the job, that was the big thing. Everyone's like, that guy made Bring It On, blah, 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 and, you know, freaked out about it. And it's like, yeah, well, Bring It On's actually fucking awesome. There's so a lot of up. action they have to film in this. Yeah, very... There's a lot of moving parts to this movie. Yeah, very, very, very much so. But um, she, she also talks about how when they were making Bring It On, they brought in uh, Gary Hardwick to rewrite some of the dialogue. And Gary Hardwick... Um, Wrote, uh, worked on The Brothers and Deliver Us from Eva, which was another movie that she's in. And those are, you know, more traditionally, like, th- that's black cinema, I okay. guess is the way that you would put it. So they did the right thing with this because they hired this actress who believed, you know, in the bare bones of the story uh-huh. and then was like, okay, but we have to fix this because we can't make her a cartoon because then it's offensive. Yeah. And I give such mad respect not only for the people who are willing to listen and make those changes because that's important, but more importantly, Gabrielle Union speaking up for herself and like, you know, being the leader that ISIS really is Uh because that's, especially in 2000, like that is when we are dealing with so much offensive bullshit behavior in Hollywood Uh that the fact that she was like, hey, I like this, but like, no, we need to fix this. That is an amount of bravery for a young up and coming actress that like, f- like, fuck all of you. Gabrielle Union stronger than the troops. Like I said it. <laughs> I fucking said it. I'll agree with that. <laughs> so, so yeah, the shooting script for Bring It On is not what ended up on screen. And a lot of that has to do with Gabrielle Union. So for me, I see isis as the character as like an extension of gabrielle union where it's like no we i'm I'm not here to play i'm here to get shit done and i'm here to get shit done in the right way and i love that about that character y'all been coming up here for years trying to steal our routines and we just love seeing them on espn what are you talking about burr it's cold in here i said there must be some toros in the atmosphere i know you didn't think a white girl made that shit up I feel, I, Our free cheer service is over as of this moment. Over. Benito. Guys, like every time we get some, here y'all come trying to steal it, putting some blonde hair on it, and calling it something different. We've had the best squad around for years, but no one's been able to see what we can do. Yes. I just is... spit a lot of history and knowledge at you. I'm like, You're I don't know welcome. what I don't know what to address <laughs> first. I <laughs> Yes, all of that is great, and I agree with it. And also, Isis is a way better character. Like I obviously have some sentimentality for as far as like a favorite goes for mm-hmm. one of my childhood crushes that we will get to very shortly. Mm-hmm. But like she's clearly the best character in the entire movie, not just because she's the most driven and the strongest. And that is probably just because a lot of the real emotions of Gabrielle Union having to fight for this movie mm-hmm. is bleeding over into that character. Mm-hmm. But you cannot have a movie like this function with out this character mm-hmm. we would not be talking about this it, certainly not positively 20 years later if this character was not what it is I, what she is i agree and i think that she's so smart 
in the ways that she enacts her justice because uh, her kind of her kind of side characters or her backup team members um they're all the the girls who are in the band black like b-l-a-q-u-e for those who don't know and they also use their song as if throughout the throughout the movie which is really fun um but they have like a very a, a very more like visceral response to this where they're like no ma beat this bitch's ass oh yeah that's <laughs> our first exposure to them yeah is when they follow um they follow them out to their car thinking that they were recording their stuff again. And it's like, oh, we're just going to just kick the shit out of you. Yeah. And this isn't to say that like, oh, that makes that like, you know, ISIS is better because she's like nonviolent. Like, it's not a matter of being nonviolent. It's not a matter of, you know, like, no, we're not going to throw hands. That's not what it is. She knows that like they could beat their ass uh-huh. and it would be justified, uh-huh. but it would not have the the same impact it, the this the way that it would when they show up to the Toros game oh yeah and humiliate them in front of the school which is far more powerful and far more effective than just beating the shit out of them and like that's what I love about that character because like had that been just straight up brawl and they did beat the shit out of them cool that's justified do it that's uh-huh. don't suck but the fact that Isis as a character knows like, no, 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 no. We're not just going to do that. Cause that's easy. Like that's the easy thing. No, we're going to make a statement mm-hmm. that will be far more effective than just whooping ass. And she's right. Yeah. And like, I live for that shit because ultimately like I have that feeling inside me a lot where it's like, I just want to fight somebody or I just want to do something. And it's like, no, 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 I got to hold that in because that is not going to give me the result that I want. I like, I don't want to just like, beat this person's down like i want them to fucking crumble Uh and that's that's what she does like she's such a great leader i think i think she's amazing yes because obviously you can beat kirsten dunce's ass like she's like 85 pounds (laughs) and not very threatening (laughs) like i mean good good transition (laughs) but this is not a her problem this is a larger problem and we need to address it in front of an entire crowd exactly like like the issue is not you know hey, Kristen Dunst, you're the captain of this team that steals from us. The issue was like, no, 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 this has been going on for many, many years and you did not know about it, which I think, again, so relevant to today because the amount of times that like I see other white people like watch, you know, unfortunately, like like the videos of like George Floyd or Ahmed Arbery and they're just like, I can't believe this is happening. And you just want to scream at them and be like, where the fuck have you been? Uh-huh. And like even when they call out like the birds cold in here chant, which is probably the most iconic chant from all of Bring It On, you know, they bring up the idea of like, I know you didn't think a white girl made up that like came up with that shit. And it's one of these things where it's like Big Red has been presenting them like other material for years and no one wants question like, Hey, where did you come up with this? And then when they find out that it happens, it's like, I can't believe this. And it's like, how the fuck could you not? <laughs> Are you saying that some people can't believe that all aspects of pop culture have been stolen from black people? Oh, there are people that sure do believe that uh, things are original and not co-opted and appropriated and stolen from black people. You are correct. Well, <sighs> some people it just need like... a rude awakening in the form of a very loud upstaging cheer in front of their faces. Yeah, they sure fucking Metaphorically do. speaking. They sure fucking do. Um, but speaking of like beating ass and stuff, because it makes me think about the scene where Kirsten Dunst is like, all right, get out, I'm going to kick your ass and it's just like the least threatening sounding fight ever especially because she's trying to fight eliza dushku's character 
Missy, mm-hmm. who I know you love. I do. So let's talk about Missy. What's how, what's going on there? Why do you love Missy so much? So we did a double feature the night we sat down to watch both of these. Yes, we did. And uh, if you want to go ahead and hear about the other one, we'll have more about that at the end of the episode as far as how that relates to things. Yes. But Eliza Dushku is kind of like the... She's, like, the bad girl who is also, like, super pretty and super nice, and I kind of love her because I have the idea of her from this movie, and she's got, like, the fake tattoo that she, like, wipes off and Mm -hmm. just totally upstages everyone with her weird, chunky, fake dreads. Yeah, like, her twist dreads. Like, I don't know what the fuck they were doing there. Yeah, I don't know either, but my love of her is rooted fundamentally in the new guy... And uh, she's taste. she's the female lead in that, and she's also a cheerleader in that, and she's really, she's doing a better performance in that movie than she needed to. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I agree Like, with she's you. <laughs> got the acting chops that she gets to show off a lot more in this movie as, like, in the no-shit-taking, like, bad girl that she is. Yeah, I, I, I and, agree with you. And I know that uh, you, in particular, relate to this character. I do. I do. I mean, for those who have listened to previous episodes, you know that I have always identified with characters like Missy. I identify with, you know, Lindsay Lohan and Freaky Friday. I identify with Kat in 10 Things I Hate About You. And it's because I was, you know, that alt girl. But where Missy and I really bond and why I love her so much is because while, yes, I was this like gothy alternative weirdo all throughout high school, I was also an elite world champion competitive baton twirler. And when I say competitive baton twirler, I know in your head you're like, oh, I know people who did majorettes and like twirled in high school. No, I'm talking like bring it on levels of like world championship doing like you toss the baton in the air and you spin six times underneath it. You do like acrobatic moves underneath it. This is not like cute little thing you do in parades. Like it's hard fucking core. This wasn't the stuff that my high school marching band did. No, and I've seen your high school marching band's twirlers and oh my God, I have six year olds who could twirl circles that's because a lot of them only had like two <laughs> years of twirling you were a color guard and if you were good then you could become a majorette yeah that's which not those how... are different skills yes that's that's not how uh, this works and i also relate in that regard to you know the the toros because the toros their their football team sucks so you know the the football similar team... to the football team in the new guy yeah <laughs> Yes, very true. But uh, in, in Bring It On, you know, the, the football team sucks. So, like, nobody cheers for them when they come out. But then, like, the cheerleaders will come out and it's, like, a huge deal. And, like, that was very much my high school experience because our football team was fine. Our basketball team was amazing. Our football team was fine. But the high school majorettes, we were all on the same competitive core. So we were, you know, like 12 year in a row, state champions, world champions, regional champions. Uh So we were a big fucking deal. Like when we performed at halftime, like the marching band stopped and we took the floor. Like it was a (laughs) thing. So I really relate to Missy as being the girl on the team who is not like the other girls. And I just feel very seen by her. And it was kind of a joke when this movie came out. Like, the girls on... You know, I I don't know if... Other people might relate to this. Other people might be like, what the fuck ever. But similarly to that episode of Pen15, where they're like, we're gonna play Spice Girls. And like, what Spice Girl are you? 
we used to do that with like movies like Bring It On where it was like, oh, I want to be Torrance or I want to be Whitney or I want to be whoever. And I was always Missy. <laughs> like uh-huh. Even though we had a girl on our team named Missy, it was like, nope, like Brittany Jane's Missy because that's what I looked like. Um, so yes, I love that character. I love this idea of you can be in this like sort of ultra femme sort of sport and still maintain like your identity and... I don't know. I just, I love that. We don't see that enough. Can she yell? We'll try, Naldi. Awesome. Oh, wow. Like, totally freak me out. I mean, right on. The tour, sure, number one. I transferred from Los Angeles. Your school has no gymnastics team. This is a last resort. And also, I really, really like her character because as is the case with, you know, most alternative people, you know, especially for like the punks, which, you know, I'm 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 kind of a punk sometimes. Every, <laughs> I'm kind of a punk. Every once in a while I'm a punk. But like she's clearly like the alternative girl and yeah. as is the case with most alternative cultures like you know your goths, your punks, your whatever. She's plugged into other people's cultures. So she yes. is the one who calls out Torrance for stealing cheers, no even though she does yes. not know that you know Torrance is not the one who stole them. Big Red was, but she goes, "Oh yeah, no, I've heard these before." Mm-hmm. You stole these and I'm going to like take you and to, I'm going to take you to this school and blow your fucking mind. That is also another reason that I really like Missy because you're absolutely right. Like she's the one who taps into this and is like, no, no, no. Let me, let me show you how the rest of the world works. Uh-huh. Because as somebody who lit, who, you know, is this like alternative person who is on like, who's within like counterculture. Yes. Is aware that guess what? There's a reason that counterculture is called counterculture uh-huh. because it's not what like the status quo is doing. It's doing something different. And I really, really like that that is how they find out. I think that that's a very smart choice to have Missy be the one that, that introduces, you know, all of these, these, these white kids. And then, um, the, you know, these, these, this rich team to, Hey, uh-huh. this is what's going on. Well, especially because, and this is this is kind of a thing that like white people have to do all the time because white people don't listen to black people unfortunately mm-hmm. or like honestly they don't listen to any minorities but let's just keep this you know let's not broad brushstroke this one we're going to be centralized um so you have a character like Missy who shows off like hey I am clearly the best person of all the people auditioning here and it's not even close right so you need me so there's like already an established respect and they want to get her on the team because that one girl like broke her neck, leg or uh, neck or whatever. Yeah, Carver breaks her breaks her leg and has to go out in like the stretcher with her her neck brace on. Yeah, so they need to replace somebody, and you now have a built up a certain level of esteem and trust. At least Torrance does. Some of the other people don't really. Um, the, the other yeah, two Courtney, girls. Yeah, Courtney and Whitney don't really want it. No, they, they and, think she's a big dyke or whatever. Yeah, and that's that's the other thing, too, that I got to bring up because I did, you know, say that, like, the Toros are, like, the all-white team. That's not true. Um, they are not an all-white team because Whitney is is an Asian woman, uh-huh. and that needs to be, like, acknowledged. So I'm, I, I apologize for just being like, oh, the white team because they're not all-white. They're, they're very, very, they, they have one non-white friend, as do a lot of shitty white people. Yes, correct. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, those two are not a fan of Missy. They think she's a big old lesbian. She's not cut out to be on the squad, whatever. But Torrance has a lot of respect for her, and without establishing that respect, she wouldn't have listened to her. Right. 
Like, you need white people to show white people things they either don't want to see or just are completely unaware of, and that has to be someone you respect. Because you're not going to listen to someone who's just a schmuck, Mm -hmm. you know? And that's unfortunately, like, the way it has to be because white people are stupid and stubborn. Yeah, it's... You know, do you want to keep living your fancy little dream world like it's Pleasantville, or do you want color, you know? Yeah, it's that that was a that was a weird uh, that was a weird a choice of words for me, but I'm going to commit to it. Yeah, no, I, I understand that. And I think that's what's really frustrating is because like we're obviously on this show, we try our best to like dig into nuances, but ultimately like they're movies. So they're trying to do this in big, broad brushstrokes because they're trying to appease and appeal to as wide of an audience as possible. Yes, that's what's happening here. So. I think that you're absolutely right that this is sort of doing the thing where it's like they're not going to listen unless this white girl tells them to, Uh which is so frustrating because you then also see something that is, you know, I think very relevant right now is even after they know the truth, even after Missy and Torrance have told the rest of the squad this is what's happening, you do have your, your Courtney and Whitney's that are like, well, that sucks, but like we shouldn't have to be punished because of Big Red's mistake. Yes. And to me... That is, like, the equivalent of the argument people make when we talk about, like, reparations. Yes. Where they're like, well, I never owned a slave, so why do I have to do this? And it's like, because you're still benefiting from it, you dumb piece of shit. Uh And, like, that's what's happening here is it's like, hey, Toros, you have five-time national cheerleading championships. Like, you are still benefiting from the fact that this mistake was made. Yeah, you didn't have a choice in that. You are not the one who went and stole these routines. You did not know that these were stolen routines but you're still benefiting from it and we even see that after they go to regionals and they eat shit and fuck up because they hired the choreographer who you know teaches them spirit fingers oh my god i want to talk about him later but i know we will we will um but when they get confronted about it you know they even say because you're the reigning champions you do get to go compete at nationals those other teams that also hired that choreographer, they don't get to go. And uh-huh. they did the exact same routine, but they don't get to go. So it's like, no, you're still, still benefiting from it. Because had you not stolen those routines the year before and won nationals, you would have been done after regionals. So yes, you do still have to pay your reparations, you dumb shits. Exactly. I had a friend who, um, I stopped being friends with her because I got tired of her shit. Okay. <laughs> and, um... She had a, a, a measurable amount of white guilt and was really bad about managing it because her family legitimately got rich from, you know, her family is a very old family and they made money off of slave money, essentially. Like, mm-hmm. that's how it was. They, they were very wealthy because uh, that was, of, of a fortune that was built on that. So she was like, oh, I want to only work in public service jobs and I want to do all of this. But no, what she did was she got to go to a really, really expensive college that she didn't pay for, for a degree she wasn't going to use, so she could go, like, work at a summer camp in the middle of the woods where there's no internet, or go work on, like, a weed farm in Colorado with, like, 16 other people for a year, and have these luxurious, like, this is fine, like, I'm just, I'm out here and I'm not causing any more strain on the system, and I'm not, I, I'm, I'm not causing any problems, but I also am allotted the privilege to go ahead and buy, backpack across the country on a bike because I don't have college debt because of my family. But I'm going to still be upset because of my family, so I'm not going to take their money, but I'm also going to take all of the advantages that their money gave me. And I hate them for a lot of reasons, but that's such a big, dumb example. 
that's and I I'm glad that you brought that up because I think we as as white people we need to start calling each other out on it and we've needed to call each other out on it like this is not anything new uh-huh. bring it on came out 20 years ago um systemic racism has existed in this country since the quite quite a bit longer than that since the creation of this fucking country mm-hmm. um so bring it on is also not doing anything new um it's just ahead of its time in terms of how we are dealing with things socially currently at this at this at this moment um and we are we are, we are at a quite a hot point at the moment yes and also it's important to acknowledge and i'm it's i'm only bringing this up because i'm thinking about it at this second as always uh, as we said in our last episode we record these way far in advance this episode will come out after the election results have been finalized um yeah. so a lot of what we're saying um might be getting worse um as this episode comes out Maybe it's like sort of better, but still not great. Um, maybe, we... maybe the country's back on life support instead of actively dying. Yeah. Who fucking knows? Yeah, who who knows? Like it's it, we don't we don't know. But it's it's important for us to acknowledge that because I think we're talking about these like really heavy topics, and we are also talking about them from a place of privilege. But currently, at this moment in time that we are recording, we are also talking about it. Um, where we're unsure of where this country is going to be going next. Um, so that's, that's a little scary. So just please like offer us, I guess, like that space and understanding if you do listen to this and like Trump is still in office and it's like, why the fuck are we talking about it? Well, because it didn't happen yet. Mm-hmm. So that that being said, we we also should probably talk about Cliff, love interest. Yeah, I maybe. guess. Sure. Because the thing is, like, this the love story There's, there's in this. two love interests in this. One's the shitty college boy, and then there's the other cute yeah, Aaron, boy. Yeah, Aaron can fuck off into the sun. I really don't care about him. Like, I'll we can touch on him later, but I really don't care. Uh-huh. Cliff, I feel I like... Mean, I, <laughs> I do love that she just totally, like, busts him when he's having, like, just had sex with that girl. Yeah. And then she's like, ew, you were a cheerleader? And I'm like, okay, well... I mean, well, yeah, we'll get to that in a yeah. second. But I think we do need to talk about Cliff a, at least a little bit in the sense that, like, I think that the this, like, love story thing feels a little shoehorned in for this uh-huh. movie. I feel like it was like, well, it's a teen movie. We have to have at least some sort of romance in this. Yeah, so none of, these are rarely is. actually blatant romance movies. There's just always a romance subplot. Yeah. I think that they just, maybe it's a requirement. I don't know. Because if the, maybe if it was, they were like, oh, we need something for people to pay attention to when they're not, you know, doing cheerleading or cheerleading too long is overwhelming to when, watch. When we need a, uh, a less stressful race related detour from the heavy parts of the movie. We yeah. can go visit this <laughs> cute little punk boy. Yeah, we have to we have to offer the white people a, a little break to not feel so uncomfortable with uh-huh. their whiteness. Yes. Um, yeah, that's very much what this love story feels like. But the one thing that it does do that I think is kind of cool is you know Cliff is Cliff is you know not like other guys that Torrance is used to. Um, the Clash is that your band? <laughs> God, like listening to you. First off, when that line happens, when she goes, oh, nice shirt, is that your band? First off, like, she assumes he's that much of a wiener that he's going to wear his own band shirt to school. Yeah. Um, but then he says, like, no, it's The Clash. And he, like, starts doing this music history thing. And as he's doing it, you started doing it. It's just like, oh, they're the best band from X year to you know, about this year-ish. And I was like, ah, he's not including Cut the Crap. Gotcha. <laughs> so, and it made me laugh because I had this moment where, you know, 
in in my world of Bataan, like, I was always, like, the Missy sort of character. And people used to always tell me, like, oh, my gosh, like, when you get married or when you meet a guy or when you get a boyfriend, he's going to be, like, Cliff. Which, first off, that's gross because if you think I'm Missy and you think I'm going to date Cliff, then you think that, like, I'm going to date my brother. But they're not overthinking that. Yes, they're not. That's a, but, I do like those two's dynamic as a as, as siblings. siblings. Yeah, no, it works really well. Um, but I had this moment where I was like, I would never date somebody like that. Blah, blah, blah. And then, like, I look over at you and, you like. just look across this bedroom <laughs> right now at me. <laughs> and then watch you, like, do the exact same thing he just did. And I was like, God damn it. I if, I, if, if I had a nice empty room and a good setup, I would totally have a bunch of band posters on the wall and do ridiculous guitar stunts, even though I actually kind of know how to play guitar sometimes. Yeah, you're pretty, you're pretty <laughs> Like, okay. as opposed to sitting there going, that's not how you play those notes. Yeah, when he's, like, like spinning around on the floor. He's, and like, I'm bending like, the string, like, but his whole hand is, like, even. cupping the neck of the thing, and I go, that's not how that works. <laughs> I was okay. like, you're, you did not put in the same effort that Jamie Lee Curtis and Freaky Friday did to learn that guitar solo, sir. Yeah, this isn't Crossroads with Steve Vai and Ralph Macchio. <laughs> oh, God, Crossroads. We'll talk about that one of these days. This is a different Crossroads. This, is this different isn't crossroads. the Britney Spears one. This is the one from the 80s where we're selling our soul to the devil in order to become better guitar players. So, so I mean, that's sort of what Cliff serves is he's just kind of like, hey, that you know, there's more to life than cheerleading and following what you think is expected of you. Yes. There you go. That's that's his purpose in this movie. Yeah, and We've also he, the, the the song he writes for her is kind of cute. It is kind of cute. It is it I is like kind it. it is kind of a cute song. It ends up in their like cheerleading routine, which I think is like a really cute little needle drop. I I do like that. I wrote something uh, for you, so here it is. <clears throat> oh, Torrance, can't stand your cheerleading squad, but I love your pom poms. I'd feed you bonbons all night. One, two, three, four! Yeah, you got me to feel all those butterflies inside. In your locker, I would hide the truth. It's only you I see. And you're just what I need. So those are kind of our, our main characters. And, you know, again, we have eight one of side characters. We have like 20 side characters, and I don't, some of which don't have, I don't know if they have names, um, or at least that, not that I'm aware of. No, most of them have names. They're just maybe like mentioned like once or twice. Okay. So we don't like ever really yeah, hear it. You're going to have to allow me some grace as I sort through the side characters on both of these squads because I do not know who anybody is <laughs> offhand. That's totally fine. And it also doesn't help that a lot of them have like non-name names because like you have like Torrance and Carver and like those are names like yeah they're names but they're not names that you hear a lot so your brain kind of like doesn't process uh-huh. them the same Ooh, way. Ooh, I will say there is one person on the squad that I really really like. Okay, who do you love? Darcy. Darcy is dumb hot. Like, Darcy sorry. is dumb hot and by far has the best ass, which she is harshly criticized for. Because it's 2000 and we're still promoting that standard of beauty where it's very much like like the heroine chic was still very in. Yeah. So having any semblance, like this comes up a lot in these movies where it's like, oh my God, my ass. Oh my God, my ass. And which, it's, it's all of these movies where they talk about how big their ass is. And I'm like, and it's, uh, like, it's oh, not. Give yourself... You have Hank Hill ass. It is concave. But then we're sitting there and we're like, just give yourself over to like 2017 when we start worshiping booty. Yeah. Like, oh, the the benefit you would have had from a post-Kardashian, (laughs) post-Beyonce life. Uh, Yes, which uh, speaking of Beyonce, we, uh, in between watching this 
movie and recording, we were part of a movie night where we did watch Bring It On 3. Bring It On All or Nothing with Solange. And, uh, and Hayden Panettiere. One, they bring up the fat joke where one girl where they actually make her pass out because they keep yelling at her that she's fat and needs to stop eating. Mm-hmm. Which is just great. Love that. And um, whew, that movie is, oh my god. Yeah. It is, it is, it is so, it's like a rhino in a china shop wearing swim fins. It is so clumsy and loud and messy. The way that we appreciate the nuance and the, the authenticity of these very difficult subjects of like race and class and equity uh-huh. in Bring It On, uh, it's like they, they, know that that's a theme they're supposed to have in these sequels and then they just get like progressively worse in how they handle it uh-huh. and it gets like further and further removed it's like it, it it feels like somebody gave a lesson like an anti-racism lesson in bring it on and then bring it on to like somebody watched it and then told it to someone who then made Bring it on three. We're playing telephone. Yes. And it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse and worse and more offensive and more like just absolutely, but like it's bananas to me how these films like got away with the shit they got away with. Yeah. As I was watching, after we watched this, I sat down and I looked at the, uh, the bring it on lineage, which I five of them. I did not realize there were so many of them. There are five sequels to bring it on. And there is a Broadway musical with the music made by Lin-Manuel Miranda. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's a word that I just said. You're welcome. Okay. Anyway, uh, I was watching this. I'm like, oh, this really followed the uh, the Airbud method of sequels, where you now have all of the Airbud movies, and then you get Air Buddy movies, and uh-huh. then you eventually get like Santa Paws, uh-huh. and we are so far away from the dog who was on Full House, who was legitimately a very good animal actor. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or probably a better comparison maybe would be like. Hey, remember Land Before Time? Remember how dark and really good the first one was? Guess what? All of the 80 sequels have song and dance numbers and they are embarrassing to watch. Yep. That's exactly what happened to Bring It On is they took something so good and so wonderful and went, we could make money off this. You really stripped away the the heart out of all of it. You really stripped away the good things from it and then picked the worst things to emphasize. God, yeah, they really did. And that's not to say that Bring It On is a perfect movie because it's not. And there there are some issues in it that are still pretty bad. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them in particular is how we handle queerness in this movie, because it's, it's pretty prominent in how we handle queerness in this movie. Mm-hmm. And what's hard, and I've been doing a lot, doing this a lot in recording this episode where I just like kind of furrow my brow and touch my eyes because it's just like, I'm like prepping myself for how exhausting this is. Uh-huh. Um, this is the year 2000. We... We're not in a place in the year 2000 to have any sort of grace in how we handled queer characters, the language around queer people, and the amount of times that the words dyke, dykey, dykedelic, fag, queer, homo are just like thrown into the air. It's like confetti. It's... Confetti at a pride parade. It is everywhere. And... What's funny is that there are moments of this that I have, like, stolen from my own vernacular. Like, I, I like, secretly love when Missy is asking Leslie, like, what is your sexuality? And uh, Leslie says, like, you know, I'm up for debate. Or he says, like, I'm questionable. 
I, I don't remember the exact word, but Missy's response was, are you telling me you speak fag? And he goes, oh, quite fluently. And like uh, that scene, yoink, I have taken that and used it in real life. Like, I, I love that. Well, I like that specific thing because that that has the energy of like the gay characters in like Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist, which I love them. Yes. It's got that energy, which is really nice. However, then you have like the mean girls who are the bad version of like Missy looks this. like an uber dyke. Yes, like they're not doing this endearingly. No, they're, they're being mean. They're bad. And that's and that's what's so hard about it is because also we don't know how Missy identifies. It's never made clear. Huh? So she very well could be a lesbian and we wouldn't know. And if she was rest my soul bury me now because i would die (laughs) um i i would actually die because i would be like they did i did see myself in a movie growing up 100 percent. like that is me like i uh someone get elijah douche on the horn yeah are you gay (laughs) no i'm just kidding was your character gay in bring it on (laughs) i need to know it's important i need it for science um, but yeah, that's, that's really the issue is because they, they make fun of the male. There's a lot of making fun of male cheerleaders at the, spe- at the expense of their sexuality. Uh-huh. And what kind of hurts me is that, so we have Jan, 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 the cheerleading man uh-huh. who is straight, uh-huh. who he does this because he's an athlete, but how they prove his straightness is that he also frequently like assaults other cheerleaders without their consent. Like, sometimes I put them in a lift and my, you know, my finger slips. My finger slip. slips in. And it's like... Because she doesn't wear panties under her spankies. Right. So it's like this weird, like, he's sort of victim blaming where it's like she doesn't wear underwear under her spanky pants. So, like, bitch deserves it. But at the same time, it's like, how do we assert that this, like, male cheerleader isn't gay? Because it's being set in 2000 where it's like, if you even, if you breathe towards cheerleading, it's like, you might as well be wearing a dress. And... <sighs> I've legitimately, not that I even like the environment of, like, gay bars. Thanks, COVID-19. Yeah, well, I mean, (laughs) before that, I didn't really like the environment of them because there's a strong, clicky vibe in Cleveland that I don't care for. But I've straight up been in gay bars and had straight dudes come up to me and, like, start hitting on me. And then the the one I remember is some guy who's, like, buying me, like, a couple drinks and we're talking and I'm just like, I'm gonna get some drinks out of this man, whatever. (laughs) And at one point, like, mid-conversation, I'm just saying something and he goes, wait, hold on. Are you a trap? (sighs) And I just bust out laughing because I I comedically refer to myself as a trap because it's very funny to me, even though I'm pretty sure that word is not used anymore. I mean, it's used in, like, porn, but that's about it. Maybe, but, like, I don't think that trap is really used in reference to trans people anymore. At least certainly not like it was uh, if you grew up on the internet in, like, the mid-2000s. Yeah. But... It's sort of... It's kind of died out the same way that things like shemale have died out. It's just been replaced by other terms. Yeah. So I just started laughing, and I was like, dude, where do you think you are? And And his response was, well... A lot of me and my friends come to, like, gay bars because it's a great place to, like, pick up chicks because they're hanging out with their fag friends. So, this is that energy where he's like, oh, go be a cheerleader because, like, you know, they're not going to be threatened by me because I have to touch them. That's how cheerleading works. So then they're going to get comfortable and then <laughs> just slip a finger in. Yeah, that's... That's very much the energy that, that that his character is bringing, which sucks because I know so many straight men who were, you know, competitive cheerleaders or competitive baton rollers who were these like very elite athletes because a lot of times, 
you know, we, we talk about Missy's audition where it's, I transferred from Los Angeles. Your school has no gymnastics team. This is a last resort. And we forget the fact that if your school doesn't have a gymnastics team for women, they sure as fuck are not going to have a gymnastics team for men. Uh So where are they going to go when they're in high school? They're going to go to the cheerleading squad because they're trying to stay in like peak condition. Uh So someone like Jan is, you know, a straight athlete. This is where he's got to go. But I hate that the the messaging is like, we're going to assert him by making him a predator. I don't like that. I don't like it at all. And then he's like showing off to like the football players at points where he's like, in this like really seductive position because he's helping stretch out like legs and stuff. And these right, guys, like these high guys school walk by and go love like, sexualizing stretching scenes. Like that's one of their faves. For real. But like they walk by and they're just like, dude, maybe I should become a cheerleader. Yeah. And the guy then calls him a fag. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, it, it's this weird mental gymnastics where the scene is being like, look what I get to do with women. Mm-hmm. Like my dick is pretty much on this woman's thigh. Yeah. And he's still calling this other guy gay for wanting to be a cheerleader, even though like the implication is like, look how straight this is. And he's still calling him gay as yes, an insult. And it's like, you can't win <sighs> when, when you are a young man in high school, as I kind of was at the time, mm-hmm. you can't win. Oh, it's hot dog day at lunch. Guess what? A bunch of kids are not going to eat hot dogs because that's gay. So they're just not going to eat lunch that day. Like, like, that was a thing. That's like when I hear about, like, you'll see things on, like, Reddit's, like, Am I the Asshole or on, like, the relationships page where it's like, my boyfriend doesn't wipe his ass because he thinks that if he touches his butt, it's gay. Uh And, like, there was even one where it was like, my my fiancé says that he doesn't have to wipe when he shits because he has a high fiber diet and he doesn't want to touch his butt because it's gay. And I'm like, what? How are people living like this? Like, the worst thing about it is like, dudes have much hairier butt cracks. Yeah, shit's getting stuck in there. So much, like, so much odor is going to get stuck in your butt hairs. You're going to have to worry about dingleberries. Like, let's, uh, let's, 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 let's move on from this topic. Yeah, so... Again, so the, the Bring It On does a pretty good job at handling, you know, some pretty heavy topics. Queerness is not one of those things. Uh-huh. Um, the other we, thing, we can't do all of them at once. No. And the other thing that they don't do very well, and this is, again, something that comes up a lot in 2000s movies, They there's a lot of use of the R word in this. Uh-huh. And the one that sucks the most is the one that comes from Sparky Palastri, where he says cheerleaders are dancers who have gone R word. And I remember that being such an insult to cheerleaders at the time because I was a cheerleader um, in junior high four years after this movie came out. So yeah, the people who didn't like the cheerleaders, that's a thing they would say to us all the time. And it was always really frustrating. But again, we were a shitty a shitty culture at that time. And we threw that word around uh-huh. like it was nothing. And there was a lot of harm caused. And there's a lot of continued harm because some people still haven't, you know, gotten the memo to stop fucking using the R word. Uh-huh. <sighs> well, aside from Big Red, Sparky's really the closest thing I feel like this movie has to a bona fide villain. Yeah, because he's just pure asshole. Oh, he is. He- and uh, I mean, I... I learned what spirit fingers were versus jazz hands in in this movie. (laughs) That's very, very true. And I got it. Like the spirit finger stuff though is like it changed culture. Like Mm -hmm. people call them spirit fingers now. Like if you do a jazz hand and move your fingers and not your wrist, that's the difference. Yeah. For those who didn't know, that's the difference. Hands out open, shaking wrists, jazz hand. Hands out open, moving fingers, spirit fingers. This 
are not spirit fingers. These are spirit fingers. And these are gold. Personally, I'm more of a jazz hand fan myself. Yeah, I love jazz hands. Okay. But I'm also a musical theater kid, so jazz hands. Well, I'm not. <laughs> I, I listen to, like, dark burlesque music, which is kind of the closest I get to being a theater kid. Like, mm -hmm. Will Wood put out, put out an album this year that's one of the best ones I've heard all year, and <laughs> it is just a big musical theater collage of stuff. But... <laughs> Sparky is amazing because one, he's absolutely despicable, but two, you blew my goddamn mind with this man. Because it's Ian Roberts? <laughs> is yes, that so, why? So I do not know this man's name, but you are like, I know this guy, he's done other stuff, and you're scrolling through and he's like, oh, he's been this, 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 this. And you go, do you know who this man is? You might recognize him the best from being in the final season of Reno 911, and then you show me a picture, I'm like, he's the fat mustache cop with heart problems? <laughs> what? So, and I lost my fucking mind. I'm like, you look nothing like that anymore, but like, oh my God. So Ian Roberts is somewhat of like an improv comedy legend. He founded the Upright Citizens Brigade. Um, he was in Second City. He's in so many movies, he's done so much writing, and he's also Sparky Palastri, which, like, and again, like, I've seen Ian Roberts and other things, but you're right, he doesn't look like Sparky. He doesn't look like that in, in anything, anything else. else. So we went through his filmography, I'm like, no, I've seen you in other things, and you just don't look like this. No. You look like a very plain dude most of the time. Yeah, it's, uh, so that was a little bit mind-blowing for both of us. But you're right. I think he is the closest thing to a villain in the sense that, like, he's super judgmental of all of the girls. He makes them feel like shit. And the fact that he's conning a bunch of different cheerleading teams, like... He's taking <laughs> money from, like, teenage girls. Yeah, two grand, like, per team. And I think they said... Out of, that, like, 16 teams or something. Yeah, I think there was, like, six teams, they said, in total. So it's like, that man just made pocketed 12 grand from high schoolers. What a shithead. Just on the California coast. Who knows where else he is? You know, that's a good point. He could be all over the place. But also, fuck Aaron, Torrance's, like, ex-boyfriend, because he's the one who suggested it. So, like, he sucks, too. Fuck him. It's your own fault, Aaron. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay, so we've, we've kind of gotten, like, our cast of characters out of there. And the thing that I kind of like is that we've been also touching on a lot of the theming in this movie, because I think that it's kind of... So much of these characters are sort of made by the theming of this movie. They are vehicles to the plot yes. for that. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Um, so it's kind of hard not to talk about both of them at the same time. Um, but but kind of going back into the heaviness of this movie, um, what are some other things that you, you liked or that you pulled out of this movie, you know, this, this cheerleading movie that ended up being surprisingly super fucking deep? Um, I think that one of the most powerful scenes or at least I guess the most impactful scenes for me to see in this movie is where the Clovers cannot afford to go to the final championship. What is it like? Nationals? Yes, Nationals. Okay, so they, they can't afford to go to Nationals despite the fact that they were amazing and probably won the, the qualifying tournament. Mm -hmm. So they can't afford to and Torrance... She talks to her dad and is like, Dad, can you sponsor this neighboring school's cheer team? They're amazing and they deserve to go. And the parents are like, who, who, who are you and what have you done with our daughter? Kind of like about it. Yeah, which is, since when do you give a shit about somebody other than yourself? Yeah, which was really like, it was just a little strange. But she ends up showing up to their gym 
and is like, hey, here's a check from my dad. He sponsored you and you deserve to go to nationals. And in a different movie, that would have been like, cool, there we go. There, that's how we get to the third act. That's our plot. And no. Isis mm-hmm. takes that check, tears it up right in her face and says, we do not need your handouts. And this movie just looks at the audience and goes, there is no white saviorism in this film. Which, like, and it's it's almost kind of like, it's a spit in Torrance's face of like, no, you do not get to do this. Mm-hmm. And I even like You don't that, go to exonerate yourself by giving us money. Like, that doesn't yes, fix the problem. Yes, Like, and I love that Isis brings up, she even says like, what is this, hush money? And in that interview with Gabrielle Union in Vogue, she even says, I didn't want to be saved and I didn't want the Clovers to be indebted. Like, that is something that I think is really, really cool. Because you're absolutely right. In a lesser movie, that would have been part of it. Mm -hmm. Is like, oh, they took the money and now they get to go and everybody's happy. And it's like, no, 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 we're going to go. We're still going to go to nationals, but we're going to do it on our own terms because we don't need you to save us, Daenerys Targaryen. Like, we can do it ourselves. Here, I got my dad's company to sponsor you guys. (laughs) What is this, hush money? No. Oh, right, it's guilt money. You pay our way in and you sleep better at night knowing how your whole world is based on one big old fat lie. Well, you know what? We don't need you. Why do you have to be so mean? I'm just trying to do the right thing here. Look, I'm trying to be strong for my squad, okay? That's what a captain does. Well, I'm a captain too, you know. And I'm trying to make it right. You wanna make it right? Then when you go to nationals, bring it. Don't slack off because you feel sorry for us. That way, when we beat you, we'll know it's because we're better. So they end up um, sending a video to, I think her name is Pauletta. And she's like an Oprah Winfrey type who grew up in their neighborhood. And they go, can you please sponsor us? We're a big fan. We want to get to nationals. And... Also, this actress is uh, Laverne from Scrubs, which means I love her. Yes. <laughs> and also, it's extremely weird to see her not wearing Scrubs, because I've seen her as a nurse in other roles than just Scrubs. Yes, and now she's like a talk show host, and you were like, oh, hey, Laverne. <laughs> I was just like, what? Okay. But uh, she ends up sponsoring them, so then it is like, as much as the community should not have to build up itself and carry itself up like that, it's nice that they did not have to get saved by Torrance. Yes, I, I'm very glad that they... I, I'm, I'm very glad that they did not go that route, which I think, again, like that's what makes this movie so powerful is that they're, they're, they're willing to go there. Whereas I think like films down the line in this series, like they, no, like, no, it's, they, they they knew the beats of like, okay, we have a tournament. We got to get here. We got to get to the finals. That's it. It doesn't really matter how we get there. Mm-hmm. This one had a very, very direct idea of how it wanted to get there. Yeah. And something else that I think is very interesting in looking at kind of the production history of this is the team that plays the Toros, they had 15 days of cheer training. Uh-huh. The Clovers uh, did not. They only, I think, had seven, which uh-huh. was what it was. And I was like, whoa. I was like, that, you know, is kind of problematic. And... Then Gabrielle Union goes on to elaborate that I guess one of the reasons that that was different is, um, oh, nope, I lied. Okay, I had that completely wrong. The Toros had four weeks and the Clovers had nine days. That's what it was. Cool. And the reason they did that is, I guess, because the film is sort of doing the Orange is the New Black thing where it's like we're trying to tell 
stories about people of color, but using white people as the the main focus to mm-hmm. get there. Um, they do more cheers, so you know you they they needed, have more to learn. They have more to they learn. They have more of a routine. Okay, gotcha. But what they did that was really smart, I think, is the team for the Clovers. Um, they have more like professional cheerleaders and gymnasts on it than the than the Toros do. Okay, so so the they Toros had, they had a help in that. Yeah, sense. the Toros are mostly actors that are cheering, and the Clovers are like professionals, which. You know, it's. I think we're about the time where we can talk about like the results of nationals. Mm-hmm. Um, the Clovers win. I I was hoping they were gonna win because I'm gonna be honest with you. I did not know who won this mm-hmm. one. So then I'm like, oh, please tell me that at least one of them wins. Because if this is some weird bullshit where, like, the muskrats win and they both get (laughs) second and third, I'm going to be salty. (laughs) Yeah, no, so the clovers win. And, I mean, obviously it's justified for a couple reasons. One, their routine is better. Uh Two, um, they do have more professional cheerleaders. So, you know, just from that sense, like, yeah, they're going to win. But it's also a really, really important message because they're not telling the story where it's like, oh, this like white team that's always been the best. And then they found out that they had been stealing routines and oh no, now they have to go on this journey. But you know what? They made it and they did it better. So they get to stay champions. Hip, hip, hooray. That's not what this movie's doing. Uh-huh. This movie's like, guess what? We're glad that you changed. We're glad that things are, you know, that you learned, but you're still not the best. And now this team that has been forgotten about forever, that has been given the shaft for many, many years and who has been done wrong, they're the winners. And it's not because it's a pity. It's not because it's a handout. It's not because anyone feels bad. It's because they're legitimately the best and they deserve to have that recognition. Yeah, because obviously, obviously the Toroses are like, they're who we're probably supposed to root for, I guess. Those would be more of like the direct protagonists. Mm-hmm. even though it's not who I'm rooting for. But it's kind of like if, um, it reminds me like of like a like a pacing of like a sports movie, like A League of Their Own or Rocky, where you're the, the person you're probably supposed to root for doesn't mm-hmm. win. Yeah. And it does that, but it has a lot more uh, gravitas to it, I guess. Mm-hmm. There, there's a lot more implications to the you know team you're supposed to, quote unquote, root for, not winning. And so here's something, this is, I mean... Again, I'm not going to use names, but this is a little telling is growing up, this was a movie that was watched a lot, especially because, you know, competitive baton twirlers, we're not going to get movies anytime soon. Cheerleading is the closest thing we got. Sure. We would watch this movie constantly. And it was always really telling to me, the girls that were on my team that felt as if the Toros were supposed to win and would express kind of like unease or sadness or disappointment Uh when they don't win Uh and that's you know I don't really have much to say on that because it's obviously like there's a lot that needs to be unpacked there yeah but to me it's really really telling that if you watch this movie and you think the Toros are supposed to win then essentially what you're telling me is that you're the type of person that believes that white people need to be rewarded for doing the right thing yeah. Oh, God, yes. <laughs> <laughs> that Because that's really what this is. Yeah, and it's it, the problem is that it's like when you're watching this and you think the Toros are supposed to win or you expect them to win, which I was a little worried because, like, I expected them kind of to win even though I'm like, no, you shouldn't win. I don't want you to win. But I had this thing of like, oh, God, are they actually going to win? Mm-hmm. And that's just an expectation that you are kind of embedded with while watching movies like this that... It's an expectation of that you know who's 
is supposed to win. Yeah, the formula of this movie is trying to tell you that the Toros are going to win this. Like, they... Swerve. Yeah, they're the ones who, you know, they went through this big change and they, you know, they had this embarrassing thing at regionals and then they banded together and made their own routine and now they're really going to show the world how good they are. So, like, yes, everything beat by beat is trying to, like sort of project and predict that they're the ones who win and then they don't. And mm-hmm. like that is like that is the best possible outcome. I do not think that this movie would have the staying power or the love that it has had the Toros won because I th- it would have sucked the the air out of the room, I think. Oh yeah, like this is a weird thing, but like how often do you and I watch professional wrestling and we're emotionally invested in a match and then it has like a weird screwy finish at the end? Where you're going to go ahead and just, it's going to ruin the whole experience, you know? Like, um, for anyone who watches wrestling, this is, this is going to be interesting for you. Everyone else, it might be boring, so I'm going to try to skip through it really fast. Mm-hmm. Um, so last year at WrestleMania, Kofi Kingston, who is uh, the first ever African-born uh, WWE champion mm-hmm. in history, won the belt at the biggest wrestling show of the year. Yeah, at, at In WrestleMania. the world, <laughs> at WrestleMania. And the... Whole trip to get there, which was probably like a sort of six-month journey where he was not supposed to be a contender. He was a last-minute replacement for someone who got injured. The fans were very, very on his side and were like, Kofi's been wrestling for 11 years for this company. We want to see him win the world title. Mm -hmm. He deserves it. And the fans hijacked a storyline that wasn't supposed to exist. Mm -hmm. They got behind him and supported him. To the point where the the journey there was really sloppy and clumsy at times, and it was a little weird, and that's just WWE being a piece of shit most yeah, of the time. Yeah, they're a shit company. Yeah, they, they're an awful <laughs> fucking company, and Vince McMahon sucks. But you're sitting there, and you're watching it the whole time going, are they actually gonna put the belt on Kofi? Because, like, wrestling is is predetermined. It's, you know, like, they have an answer. It's, it's not scripted. like... It's scripted. It's a... It's, athletic- it's a soap opera. Yeah, it's an it's athleticism, but like it's scripted. They know who's going to win before the match starts. Yes, but we don't. But we're yes. sitting there, and the the drama of it is not. And this is a problem with WWE. Is the drama is not is Kofi going to overcome this challenge in storyline? The drama is is Vince McMahon going to be a crotchety, crazy old man and actually let us have what we want? Mm-hmm. That is the drama of this, and that's the frustration. And had it not, had he not won, it would have been the most sour and depressing match probably of the, of, of the year, certainly of like the last few years, because you need to have that catharsis, especially if it's what everyone wants to happen. And I'm sorry if the people watching this with you growing up didn't want the Clovers to win, but they're wrong. Mm-hmm. Nope. That's... It was their time. They deserved it. They 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 get the championship. And then Torrance is a very good sport because that's the whole point of like a sports movie is you want good sportsmanship. You, your main characters aren't supposed to like be shitty. They're not going to mm-hmm. be like, oh, we lost. Uh, you suck. They're no. They're, they, they got the Goku principle of like, I want the best competition. I want to prove that I'm the best by beating the best. Yes. And she is so excited about that. And that does so much more for the plot and for her character arc than had they just won and were rewarded. And ultimately, in like a weird way, they are still showing that like, no, you you are as good as you think that you are. Because for years and years and years, you know, this team won national championships. 
by stealing the routines of this other group. So uh-huh. when it was their time to do something original and do it themselves, the fact that they still took second, that is something to be proud of. So it's this nice ending where it's like, no, this is exactly how the justice should be done. Uh-huh. The clovers get what they have always been des- what they've always deserved and what has been taken from them by, you know, fucking shitty white people and the fact that there's, you know, the class divide. Like the like we talked about Darcy being like hot earlier cuz she is, but there's also this really interesting thing where they talk about how Darcy has like really really rich parents and like her dad pays for everything. Uh-huh. Like at one point she even makes a joke about like what am I an ATM? Like, do I have ATM on my forehead? And they're like, no, we were thinking like D-A-D-D-Y where it's like, yeah, we want your dad to pay for this. Uh-huh. Um, these Compton Clovers, they don't have that. They don't have the Darcy on their team. They have no safety net. They, like there's no safety net for them. So the fact that they get their championship that has been rightly deserved for fucking years, that's the win that they need. Uh-huh. And for the Toros, it's like, yeah, you got your shit together. You learned to not be shitty people. You made amends for, with, you know, this team that you've been stealing from for years, whether you knew it or not. And you worked your best. And guess what? You get to be second best. And that's cool too. Yes. I love that ending. Like it is, that is the perfect result of that competition. Exactly. And even just, you know, on a, on a surface level, as a cheerleading squad, they learned so much because they not only had to relearn from Big Red Stolen Routine. Mm -hmm. They had to relearn from Sparky's, like, copy and pasted routine from a bunch of other places. They had to go ahead and now a third time get a competition performance, and they used, like, swing dancing and martial arts movies and all of these weird influences that they were borrowing from to, like, mix genres. And that is so much more impressive than, like, some sort of lazy thing. So, like, they have this commendable thing on their own. Mm Mm-hmm. It's really nice, and it's Bring It On is, I think, the the perfect movie for, you know, I, I say this all the time for this fucking podcast, but this is the perfect movie for why I love what we do with this podcast. Because mm-hmm. to people who've never seen Bring It On, they probably do believe that it's just like this cheesy cheerleading movie, and yeah, the dialogue is really cheesy. Like, when we have things like, you know, you put the uh in duh you put the whore in horrifying let's not put the duh in dumb let's not put the like like it's it's some hangover yes. post clueless 90s yes. realness or whatever. you're being a cheer tater torrance and a pain in my ass like oh uh, god just chef's kiss love all that mm-hmm. cheesy ass language or my personal favorite and yeah i will do it awesome oh wow like totally freak me out i mean right on Toro, sure, our number one. I just hit the mic doing that cheer. Um, (laughs) But like little shit like that, people see that surface level and they're like, this is a dumb movie. And then you sit there and you watch it and you're like, no, this movie has something really important to say. And they do it in a very impactful way. Yes. So maybe people should stop shitting on teen girl movies and start watching more and they could learn a few things. 100%. Always. If I was a cheerleader, that probably would have had a little more punchiness to it. (laughs) All right. So this movie doesn't have any sort of dance in it outside of our competition dance. So Harmony, Bring It On is asking you to the prom. Is it a yes, no, or a maybe? And are you going to write anything on the note back? 
I'm, I'm not going to pretend that I can cheer and give you some sort of rah, rah, yes, ma'am kind of thing. <laughs> but that's, 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 that's what I want to come across with this movie. That that's, that's the energy that I'm going to put across in my not at all cheerleader way. I don't think that you'd be a cheerleader. I think that maybe you would be the scene where Torrance is listening to Cliff's mixtape and dancing on the bed. I think yeah, that's you. <laughs> I think more so like I'm the, um, if, if you watch Tony Basil's Mickey I'm like the really big girl at the bottom of the pyramid that's just like the muscle. <laughs> like I'm You're I'm, the base. Yeah, like I'm like a tree stump, like a tall tree stump. Like I'll just I'll hold you. I'm not gonna be doing flips or a lot of like high kicks or anything because my hammies are too tight, but like I'll 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 be there. Just not maybe be the star player. I'm 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 backing band. Hey, you have to have bases in order to get the flyers in the air and you have to have backspotters because otherwise then you're breaking cheerleading rules and we don't want to do that either see exactly i'll be there and i will help beautiful so i that that's that's kind of that's kind of my my note for this i guess in a very roundabout way of discussing it (laughs) and i at the beginning of this episode i was just like i'm really nervous about talking about this one because it's I, I'm white. Because it's is important. Because this, this is an important movie. <laughs> this is a really important movie, and it's an important episode because of it. And um, we're white people talking about a movie that is, you know, dealing with a lot of things that uh, we as a culture fuck up all the time. Mm-hmm. So uh, I was like, this is going to be really difficult. And it wasn't. I was way more stressed out uh, cutting into how much I hate the craft. So, um, <laughs> Which, if you listened last week, uh, sorry about it. That was two weeks ago. Oh, you're right. It was two weeks ago. Sorry yeah. about it. <laughs> so I was really way more stressed about that because the freaking internet witches are going to come roast me. Like, <laughs> but like this, this was surprisingly simple. And that's kind of, I think the good takeaway from this is this movie, th- there clearly was a lot of moving parts and it almost did not come out the way it did, mm-hmm. but it doesn't have to be more complicated than it doesn't have to be as complicated as people think it has to be to have this conversation. I mean, moral of the story, as Gabriel Union has shown us by changing the script, fucking listen to black women. Like, oh my God. <laughs> if they tell you something's fucked, it's fucked. And yeah, listen. Like, that's, that's all you have that's to do. That's all you have to do. It's yeah. not hard. Like, yeah. just If somebody is telling you the situation is fucked up, believe them and change accordingly. Like the end. We've did it. We've solved <laughs> the problem. Just holy shit, people do it. All right, well, (laughs) I think that takes us out for bringing on. We want to thank everybody again for listening. As always, please subscribe to our Patreon. Patreon is, uh, you know, how we can keep the show going. And we also have uh, our mini-sodes up there. Our Our, our Sadie Hawkins episodes. Our Sadie Hawkins episodes where Harmony makes me watch teen boy movies and I have a miserable time. You can listen to our episode uh, up there for The New Guy. (laughs) Which, if you want another Elijah Dushku cheerleading movie, this one's not as... As good, and it also handles race way worse. So um, we have things to say. It's a uh, it's it's quite educational in a thirty minute package. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a nice little nice little break from uh from from the norm. But you can check it out there. You can find the show as always on Twitter, Instagram at this ends at prom. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at bj colangelo. Harmony, where can we find you? I am also on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at velocitraptor. Make sure the underscores are in there. Velasa underscore trap underscore tour. I'm a trap. (laughs) That's called a callback. You're allowed to say that. I'm not allowed to say that. That's okay. Um, And again, thank you to the Sonderbombs who have our lead, uh, our our little theme song with title. Also follow them on social media because they are putting out new music. They have two new singles out that they've put out so far this year. And finally... 
a release date set for January for their second album, and I am so hyped. I've already pre-ordered yeah, the vinyl, <laughs> which will come with a digital version and two shirts and a hoodie because I like to support independent music, especially if it fucks as hard as their music does. And speaking of music, another thing um, on our Patreon, if you do subscribe, uh, Harmony makes playlists because a lot of you have commented about how much you like hearing about her talk about music and analyzing the music from these movies. Um, so you get to get to have some some good uh perks there by getting custom playlists from mm. harmony herself yep. i'll make one every month at least and it's not strictly like female fronted bands and artists but it's definitely like female and trans and non-binary forward mm-hmm. so uh yeah hopefully there'll be some cool stuff the one for this month is Almost entirely things that were released this year, because this was a great year for music. It is the one department that 2020 is not slacking in. (laughs) All right. So, yes, please support us where you can. Um, If you like the show, give us a rate, review, subscribe. Um, Apple Podcasts tends to be what helps us the most, because unfortunately, like, hey, Apple, uh, you know, kind of controls the world right now. Um, So please help us out. It really does help. We're an independently produced podcast. We do this, you know, in by bedroom so uh it really really does help us compete with uh you know the other podcasts that have like celebrities and you know a lot of money behind it so diy or die baby diy or die baby all right thanks for listening and we will see you next time love you friends This episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.me. Podpeople.me. Me. Me.